Welcome to the Field Dynamics Podcast. We're here to facilitate inspiring dialogues about the nature of consciousness across disciplines, communities, and practitioners, all with a holistic perspective. From energy healing to somatic therapies, from neuroscience to meditation, we believe the most interesting things happen at the boundaries of disciplines. I'm Christabel. And I'm Keith. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the episode. Welcome to this episode of the Field Dynamics Podcast. We have with us here today as guest Kate White. Kate White is a somatic trauma resolution therapist, biodynamic cranial sacral and advanced body worker, specializing in prenatal and perinatal therapies. She specializes in healing early trauma by helping people work through and resolve the adaptive strategies initiated in their earliest years of life. She is founder and former director of the Department of Education for Prenatal and Perinatal Psychology and Health, and offers online training in both prenatal and perinatal dynamics. Since 1999, Kate has studied alongside many of the pioneers in prenatal and perinatal trauma healing, with extensive education in anatomy, physiology, neuroscience, embryology, interpersonal neurobiology, craniosacral biodynamics, and somatic experiencing. Her work combines somatic therapy with brain development to help give families with babies and small children the best possible start. Throughout her career, Kate has helped to educate professionals and the public worldwide that a baby's experience of conception, pregnancy, and birth creates lifelong consequences for individuals, families, and society. So firstly, welcome, Kate. It's uh, a pleasure to have you here today. Thanks for taking the time and joining us. And thank you for inviting me. Firstly, I wonder if you could kindly um, give us an overview of what pre- and perinatal healing is exactly. The, the words prenatal and perinatal. Prenatal is the prenatal time, pregnancy. And then perinatal was around pregnancy. So we kind of use it as uh, to talk about the full prenatal time and then birth and then after birth. Often it's the, the first 18 months after birth. Sometimes depends on who you talk with. They may think it's two years up to two. But it's the implicit time, the time before cognition comes on, the time before left brain starts to fire. And for parents, it's birthing. It's, it's childbearing and birthing and and feeding after birth, or being with babies and small children. So the work you do is extremely specialized. I wonder, how did you become involved with this particular aspect of the human experience? You know, was it through a teacher, um, something you had as a healing experience, or, you know, what what brought you to this kind of work? Well, I, it was it started in 1999. I had uh, just graduated as a biodynamic cranial psychotherapist, and that was one of the hardest things I've ever done um, to learn how to do that and track the energy field of people. And I just had my first baby also. So he's now 24. And I was working, um, I had an extensive intake form. And on the intake form, we ask, like, what was your birth like? Because we're taught in biodynamic cranial psychotherapy about the impact of birth on the body and the cranium. And we're taught to uh, to really recognize birth patterns. 
so I had a, a woman come, she was referred to me and she came and she filled out my intake form and she got her treatment from me. And then she came back and she said, well, you know, that question on your intake sheet about your birth. Well, I think my birth is the reason for my lifelong depression. And I, I didn't, I thought I could heal that. I wanted to heal that with you. And, and I simply said, okay, I'm like, I, I didn't know that could happen. I didn't know that people could remember their births. And, um, and so she went through her whole birth process on my table. And it turned out that her birth was a lot like my birth. And we, we are both breech babies, uh, footling breech. And both of us had near-death experiences. But I didn't know that. I was just holding her. And as she processed her birth, I began to have panic attacks. And I, I called the only person I knew at the time I thought could explain things to me. And that was William Emerson. I had just met him at a craniosacral conference. And, and he just basically said, well, if people are doing this on your table, you need to be trained. And then he asked me about my birth, and that's when we realized that her experience and my experience were similar. And my nervous system was responding to the field, really. And I was astounded, and I was smitten. And that, that, that ignited my curiosity and my passion and my love, and I've been full on at it ever since. So I call that story client zero. That was client zero. <laughs> Most people don't seem to think of cognition or experience or memory or imprinting from these times. So, you know, what do you think is, um, what is an important thing for the public in general to know about the influences here? What's What doesn't the public generally know or what might be a useful way of presenting it to people that widens the lens as to our human experience? Well, I would say that parents of little babies do know a lot of them. So public, I would say that they see their babies having experiences. And I I would say that, I mean, since I've been at this for 24 years, I've seen a greater, wider acceptance of the importance of really supporting pregnancy, really supporting the prenatal time uh, with the awareness that the baby is and is re- recording and encoding what's happening. Um, and, and I would say also that in education and in um, maternity practice and in research, particularly the fetal brain researchers, they've had a big impact on me um, they're, they get it. and But where I see the challenges is in obstetrics and birth. Um, I see lactation getting it. <clears throat> I see lactation understanding that babies have experiences and they're in our bodies. And that's what they're seeing in terms of breastfeeding challenges. Uh, then, you know, I, I don't think many people really take in the super sensitivity and the super perceptivity of of babies and but once they see it once they get it then they can't unsee it and many times 
with moms and babies in my office and parents and babies, they, and they see me have a conversation with the baby and they kind of get it that their little one is, has the capacity for connection and communication and that they have experiences then if that family really i think goes on in in a different way than those who are really not taking in the super sensitivity and the capacity of of the baby i have seen over my lifetime a greater acceptance that babies have experiences and I, I I predict in my lifetime that there'll there'll be bigger advances in helping human development at this very vital and vulnerable threshold moment. Let's get to where a, a listener is really wondering right now. They're saying, "How do these imprints affect us? You know what? So okay." Tell me what what happened to my child in that challenging birth. How does that affect them in adulthood? That kind of thing. How are these imprints affecting us? For listeners out there, and for people who are having babies, like like adults, adults have the baby within them also. And so the early roots there's there's quite a long list of them. We we like to say that pre perinatal imprinting or healing. It happens in layers, and uh, what's what's challenging uh, can happen at any time during the, la- the the layers as they develop, starting preconception, and and so I, in my lifetime I saw okay real wide acceptance that preconception trauma can cross over boundaries over generations. Depends on who you talk to. We know the epigeneticists say three, but depends on which researcher you read up to five you know generations back things can show up in our bodies and so there's that layer so that's the first layer preconception then how we are conceived um, matters and if we're a wanted baby if you're not a wanted baby i i happen to think that's a form of hell on earth and many people who don't feel wanted they take it out on the world um and if if it's in the early time it can have implications and then so that's another layer that's two layers right then there's the prenatal time and a lot of things happen prenatally and some things only the baby knows because we don't know we're not many people aren't tracking us closely and Tell it, talking to the baby about how it is and what's happening out here. And so it depends on what the mother's experience is and what kind of lifestyle she has. That impacts the baby. Now, many people understand that substances can impact the baby, fetal alcohol syndrome, other things, COVID, um, you know, stress, pollution, uh, substance abuse. But the baby, the baby can have other experiences in utero. Um, one of the basic ones that talk about is, you know, how we are in our bodies, scoliosis, other things. Uh, but I know that you know, babies are deeply spiritual beings, and this is in that threshold places inside the prenatal time, 
that get progressively closer to being born. Birth has other layers. And how a baby can be born, sometimes they get stuck. Sometimes they have to have help. Sometimes that help hurts. So there can be binds and stuck places. And these patterns can show up in our behaviors. Often we have a saying in pre-perinatal that, you know, that how we do things can correlate to how we are born. And if you have a stuck place, it, it can show up um, in how we do things. So let me give you an example. Let me give you my example. Like I, I was a breech baby, so I was born feet first. And I, I've, I have been very involved in understanding the impact of birth on myself. And so I, I pretty much remember, you know, being excited about being born. Uh, I, I think I had it all sorted out, actually. But when I got into it, I think I scared the caregivers. They, they really rushed me, hurt me pretty bad. So I think the near-death experience I had was it, it was as I was being born. I'm, I think I impinged my cord. I think I went unconscious there. And a lot of breech babies do. I think I think that that has had a pivotal moment on uh, on me a pivotal experience of losing consciousness and then I was sort of whisked away and not put with my parent my mom and uh, in pre-perinatal work we talk about how there's the before of doing something the action phase of doing something and the after phase of doing something and each of these corresponds to how we do something so when we're training trainees or we're talking to students, we ask them to be aware, how do you start something? Is it easy for you? Like for me, yeah, I, I set intentions. I, I pretty much love the preparation phase. I love all the gathering of information and implementing something. Oh, I love the doing phase. But when it comes to completion, I, I have had to really work on going all the way through, and then resting. And that's what we call the outlet and the integration phase. So I've had to really work at uh, just not going from thing to thing to thing, which I, I tend to do and not rest, not appreciate. And that correlates to how I was born. And... I feel I like to invite listeners. I'd like to invite the two of you to reflect. How do you like to do things? Now, for people who say had an emergency C-section, and often they often have to because they get stuck. So that's a place where well, often people that have this kind of pattern, they get to a place in their doing phase and then they feel stuck. They can get shut down. They can, you know, go sort of an, into a bit of a freeze and they need help. You can overcome all of this. Um, so those are the, that's a, that's a common thing that I see. Um, sometimes also babies, as they enter into being born, they can get, they can also get stuck. So the pre-preparation can be hard and they can, if somebody's preparing like, like, you know, we see it a lot in education. 
if you procrastinate a lot, that can be something that impacted you as you're entering in to the pelvis and you get stuck. You can get shut down. I don't know. And so that's examples. Now, the Association for Pre- and Perinatal Psychology and Health had two co-founders, Thomas Verney, who wrote The Secret Life of the Unborn Child, and that was published in 1980s, and that's still current. And then the other man was David Chamberlain, and he was a minister and a and a psychologist and a hypnotherapist. And he could, in his hypnotherapy, uh, worked with people who had claustrophobia. And he, in his early days, realized that when people were talking about their origins of their claustrophobia, it comes from third trimester in utero experience. So that's another way that you, the birth patterns can show up in our, our lives. Okay, claustrophobia, fears, anxieties. Um, so those, those are a few examples. Um, and, you know, the whole range of pre-perinatal, it includes feeding. Um, it includes, like, the, the things that babies have told me that are the scariest for them are separation after birth. So then that where's their world? Where's their parent? And I, I think that's one thing that I would I would like to see really change hundred percent in my lifetime is the realization of separation of parent that leaves a very big trauma imprint on both parent and child. And that these are neonatal intensive care. Um, and for for the baby, but babies have told me consistently said that this is just terrifying and so to bring uh to bring more compassion for babies and parents after birth and so the the whole baby friendly movement working with lactation and they're the ones the leaders of it don't 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 do that don't separate mom and baby and put the baby on the parent and and that has become policies and i think 20 to 25 percent of our hospitals now that's what i mean when i see progress but but that that can be just hard for 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 children and babies and so that pattern is anything from terror with separation to abandonment to um just all the layers of trauma that can show up for a baby once they're put in the neonatal intensive care. And I think this is where I see medical professionals, they don't take it in what they're, what's happening for the baby. Not yet. Some do. I can tell you a few stories, but uh, I think that they're trying. If any place I see in the hospital who are trying to make changes, it's neonatal intensive care. You're, um, you're painting an incredibly complex picture here um, of these layers of uh, imprinting and conditioning taking place, right? Through from preconception to being carried in the womb, 
to birthing processes and what comes immediately after in, in the care, lactation care, etc. I'm interested from your perspective. Um, we have field dynamics, our own way of talking about this with relation to field dynamics and, and the energy field and information um, being stored there. From your um, perspective, your sensing as a practitioner, how is it when you're working with an individual, be it a child or an older adult, I'm assuming, who's working back at times. Um, how is it that you're reading into this trauma, these layers and imprints and patterning in the field? How is the story revealing itself to you? Oh, it's another good question. Well, often people who come seek the services of someone like me or someone who has said, talk therapy has not helped. I mean, it helped. It only took me so far, and and then they're they're aware of this pattern that emerges in, in their lives that keeps coming back and keeps coming back, and um, and so then, I mean, in their research of how to help, they'll come across a pre-perinatal person, and so then they'll they'll seek out our services. Usually, it's someone who's been on the healing path for a while, or not the first port of entry. And uh, at least not yet. I mean, I think that's changing. I'm, I'm sensing change uh, as people become more aware that, uh, first of all, of somatics. That somatic is a thing. That body is memory. And where are these memories from? And, uh, and once they start to realize, okay, I've addressed this childhood trauma. I've addressed this adult trauma. And this pattern is still there then they often end up in my office or they end up in our, our wombs around birth process workshops, which was the therapy pioneered by Ray Castellino. And so usually it's a facilitated movement. Once you're with a pre-perinatal person, we see it. We see it in the person's face. We, we, we see it in how they hold their body. We see it in the movements of their body. We hear it in the languages that they use, metaphors, the stories they tell. And once you become trained, you you can kind of sense the layers of a person. We have common patterns that we listen for. We name them. And and often we, we know sort of where to go with our person because of those layers like I've talked about. Sometimes it's a birth sequence. Sometimes it's a preconception sequence. Sometimes it's an early childhood issue. Uh, but we, we are trained to recognize that's, that's the training. You're, you're describing some of what's involved in the training. What would you say are primary skills for doing the work? Because there's um, a lot of layers to what you're talking about. How would you describe primary skills, core skills for doing this work? Well, I use, I mean, the work of Ray Castellino and Anne and John Chitty. And um, for a skill is presence, being in your body and, and, and feeling like you don't have to, you don't get drawn in. You don't feel repelled. You have capacity to be present, quality of your presence, ground, center, neutral. It's what we call practitioner skill number one. And then 
the interpersonal relationships, like interpersonal field dynamics. I think that must be something that's in your field. What is, how is the space between us? Ray Castellino taught me to, to read the space between people. And so it's not just about, you know, what, what you feel, which is, of course, that's part of it too. So the quality of listening, it's not just what I hear, it's what I sense, it's what I see, it's what I feel, it's what I sense in the feel and the space between us. And I, my body is a tool, it listens. And but I, all the, I spend a lot of time, so I, it, it can, I can now really get the sense of it. Um, my own history also will inform me the work I've done, the healing work. But then there's skills of uh, what we call recognition. So you can just see. I, I usually teach that, like you learn what's presenting and how to make sense of it as practitioner. And then there's facilitation skills, which are verbal and also skills of presence. So the somatic trauma resolution skills are helping to help just ask good questions. Mostly it's what's happening in your body. And where are those fixed states that are connected to autonomic nervous system stress and threat responses? It's trauma resolution. And we use somatic tools, coming into relationship with what's challenging, moving farther away into something that feels better, something in the present, and then holding the memory. And we know the memory because we have trained and we feel very comfortable uh, taking people into the history that may be terrifying for them but we know it's a memory and we know that we can spend time with it, name it, normalize it, educate about it, and then work with the nervous system and the space between us to help settle and change and even transform what's showing up in someone. The work that we do is helping people to come to consciousness, wake up, Um, to whatever this is. And if they can have that consciousness and the power of choice, then healing happens there. You've spoken about this idea of trauma from separation, um, immediately post-birth from mom, and also um, challenging labors such as C-sections. I'm wondering if that is a, a most common or particularly common pattern that you're seeing time and time again from this early early period when you're working with clients and if so how that affects them um, physically emotionally psychologically i guess if there was one common pattern i would have to call it the double bind like a lot of us are a lot of people trained in pre-perinatal call ourselves double bind practitioners it's it's the stuck place it's it's um when you, you don't feel like you have any good outcome. If I can't go back, I can't go forward. And often we find that binds start preconception. So there's often, a, there's often a foothold in the ancestors, in the parent or even their grandparent. 
So what was undigested from the history comes forward and and we are we carry that. And it shows up in us. I guess that's really common. I really see what's undigested, unhealed from our ancestors. It often shows up in our in the current generation. And they're sitting in my office and I can sit with them and, and say, This isn't all yours. Can we talk about your parents? Can we talk about your grandparents? And differentiating from that, like that, how much you can just say, that's yours, this is mine. And and then we sort of thresh what's theirs. Oh, but the bind the bind is really confusing. And, and that's a big pattern. People get disoriented. People feel a constant spin. They 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 feel confused. They feel this never ending thing. They're not able to they're not able to get out of it. And it can be double bind light, double bind medium, and double bind heavy. <laughs> what what changes can um, can people expect to see, Kate, having worked through that um, with a practitioner such as yourself? What changes might they see in their life? Well, they just get happier. They can make, they have other, I mean, they can move forward in their life with much more ease. Like I had a woman just email me a couple of days ago. Guess what? I put money down on a lease and I created a new business and I would never have been able to do that if it wasn't for the work that we do with you. I did with you. So people can move forward. People can feel, have more ease, more joy, their health their health returns because when you get into these trauma states that nobody sees or names until they come to preperinatal, they've had them for a while. So you can have autoimmune and chronic pain and chronic issues, digestive issues, you know, all the things that we see with trauma, but they haven't gotten to those early layers. So people's health gets better. They, their body changes. Their, the way they feel and perceive themselves and the world around them changes. This is what we see from preperinatal healing. This is a quote from your from you. It's working with children is working with the whole family. That's the quote. So I'm wondering about the sh- like kind of you've been mentioning layers or shells. How does this go from the child, the baby, to the mother, that primary bond? And then to the family structure as a whole. Huh, that's another good question. You know, that's that's this old saying. I think it was Donald Winnicott, right? Babies don't come by themselves into your office. They're brought by somebody. And so, I mean, and Ray Castellino found this too. Like babies don't come by themselves. And, you know, and if you can work on a baby and help a baby, but if you put them back in a family system that is unconscious and not honoring, then it goes back. The whole nervous system can return to something less optimal, say. So, and babies and parents, I mean, they're a system. If your baby's not doing well, you're not doing well. And likewise. If if the mom's not doing well, baby's not doing well. Like the baby is a hitchhiker on the mom's nervous system. That's a quote from John Chitty. And so you got to treat the whole family. You can't just treat the baby. 
And I, I often find that if I treat the mother, the baby gets better. And, and sometimes the baby just does need physical therapy or manual therapy, which I'm trained to do, the cranial sacral or other therapies I've learned how to do. Um, but often it's, it's, the, it's the parent also. So both, if there are two parents, listening to both of them, listening to both of how they feel, helping normalize the challenges and uh, affirming being with them. Yeah, that was hard, what you all did. And you all are superheroes getting through all that. And some of the, it, they truly are. I mean, NICU stays and, you know, tra- traumas at birth and, and not being seen or felt or understood by, by medical providers, feeling missed, not feeling heard. So, you know, 4 million babies are born every year in the United States. 800 women are reported postpartum depression, right? Postpartum anxiety. And then like 1.3 million report trauma at birth. Now, if I could please have practitioners just understand the trauma at birth. And one in every hospital well, what happened? What happened to our people? You know, if if it costs $14 billion a year to treat postpartum, you know, mental issues in our country, that's the, that's the price tag. I, I feel passionate about what I do. I feel like it really needs to be out there. I feel like people need to learn about this. I feel like our medical systems need to be integrating treating earliest trauma into the system it would save money it would save lives it would save these trajectories of human suffering it would change that so like john shitty had to sing as the twig is bent so grows the tree so so that's why i do what i do i feel like we can change human development if we can intervene here and make make it better is it possible um does anyone get through birth in the early stages of life without some trauma you know is is this an idealistic um end goal at some point is it possible even now what are your thoughts on this kate well yes i mean many people do i i think the statistics that i read are um About 45% of people giving birth say that some part of their birth was traumatic. Like one in three now are in the United States, this is in the US, um, say that their birth was had a traumatic, was traumatic, depending on who you read, to 25 to 35% of people. So that leaves a percentage of people who are not traumatized who are, you know, ecstatic and have, uh, have crossed this threshold moment as a loving family with their baby and they go on to breastfeed or bottle feed successfully with no challenges, no separations, and they're just ecstatic. So I, I know there are people out there who have that. Yes. Wouldn't you think that a fair percentage of those who report that non-traumatic experience are still 
holding though these subtler imprints like in utero mom and dad are fighting a lot and the emotional neurological responses to that and that that would go undetected to those who are self-reporting trauma versus not yes yes could be but what what we know about caregiving is that if if the family can have good support first two months of life after birth a lot of that changes now if the parents keep fighting no um a lot of a lot of families do crazy things during pregnancy like buy a new house or build an addition <clears throat> but if that stress can be transmuted um if it's not too much uh then i think that if parents can be well cared for after they have babies and then even in the first two years of life depends on who you read like um but I, sensitive caregiving after birth can make a huge difference and that's where also we fall short we fall really woefully short in our country we don't support parents with babies we don't do good with paternity and maternity leave um, it, it's very hard to be a nuclear family and take care of a new baby um, Ray told me it takes four adults <laughs> four adults per child so we, we, we are not set up for success in our country. Um, and I think that if you leave a mom, a new mom at home with a newborn by herself, that's a travesty. And that's a trauma. So, I mean, how do you ask me about birth? I mean, there's stuff that happens after birth also. So, and I think that if, if you asked William Emerson, he would say just about every birth has a piece of trauma in it. Uh, that's what he would say if he was sitting right here. On that note, Kate, um, reflecting on the idea that maybe um, mothers-to-be listening or women intending on having babies uh, in the future, and uh, I'm interested in this idea of um, there's already quite a lot of pressure on women and mothers-to-be in our culture and society. As you say, we're not raising a child in an extended society and community anymore. It's often nuclear families or even single parents. Um, how might a mother-to-be or a lady who's intending to have babies in the future listening to this, how might they approach conception and labor? What what could they be doing proactively? Because some of these issues and queries are things beyond their control, it would seem, to a certain extent, you know, a difficult labor, etc. So I'm just wondering what advice you might give. Well, if you're listening to this and you're a, you're a young woman or a woman who, of childbearing age, Work on healing your traumas before you get pregnant. Um, and look, look at the range of your life. You can take some pretty good evidence-based tools, the adverse childhood experiences being one of them. But look at your relationships with your parents. Decide what kind of parent you want to be. Look at your own traumas. And, and work on them before you get pregnant. And then consciously conceive. Really decide that you're going to uh, consciously bring a baby in. Be, be considerate of your body um, and your relationships while you're pregnant. 
and uh, families support them. And then, I mean, do do your due diligence when you choose a place to have a baby. And ask about their policies. Ask about all the things. Get good childbirth education. Um, I would choose a midwife if you can. Continuity of care and midwifery model of care has best outcomes if you are non risk, low risk person. And if you are a more complicated person and have more complicated, then just do your due diligence and find somebody. Understand that that the baby is having an experience and and just be aware of the impact of the interventions that you that are happening for for you. Choose a hospital that has baby friendly. So when the baby is born, you can put the baby on you. Um, during your pregnancy, you can bond with the baby. There's a lot of places now that are teaching prenatal bonding. And that has really good outcomes. Connecting with your baby, considering your baby, even reading out loud to your baby, singing to your baby in utero. And that has so shown to decrease the amount of interventions and postpartum depression. And then if you have challenges after birth, to just find those practitioners that can help you, lactation consultants, body workers, psychotherapists, and have a prenatal plan. And many people want to have a birth plan. And I, I would have an idea about what kind of birth you want, but plan for your postpartum period. And there are some good places now that offer plans, postpartum plans, care for you, care for the baby, care for your family. And, uh, and that, that's, that's best practices. That would be my advice. Just curious to kind of add one layer to that question in a way. And instead of asking you this in terms of a recommendation for other people, if you were to hypothetically have a child tomorrow, right? What what would be the what would be the setting for your birth? Would it be in a hospital? Would it be in a home? Would it be in a tank of water? I'm I'm not educated about best practices. So I'm just throwing out there the cliches. But I'm wondering how would you go about doing that at this point, given your experience having had children and also your experience as a practitioner? Oh. Well, I would love to have another baby, Keith. I'm I'm 60 years old, so that's not going to happen. So I love your question. I mean, I've often wanted to have another baby because I've taken care of so many moms and babies. Um, but if I, myself, I had two births. One was a hospital birth. One was a birth center birth. At this point in my, if I was pregnant, I would probably be going for a home birth under the care of a midwife um and so but that's after having two babies and um, and so um i i feel like you need to have good risk if i was having a choice i would want to choose a practitioner with whom i could have a really good relationship that i really trusted and somebody who would show up for me and then uh and i would choose a doula a birthing attendant. 
I did on my last birth also. I chose a doula. Uh, I had the baby in a birth up a hospital up in New Hampshire. And I think I would choose a home birth non as low intervention as, as possible. I didn't have any interventions at both my births. Uh, I was lucky. I did not need them. And my body was really good at it. It was scary the first time. Second time I was ready. But, uh, and then I would have people there catch me after. Body workers. People who knew how to care for the newborn family. And, uh, and let myself really enjoy uh, that mo- those moments to be cared for. And that would be my advice. Pete, are there any um, options in this work for women whose children um, haven't made it to term? Uh, yes. I think that's a very painful pattern when you have a miscarriage or you have a stillbirth. It's like, especially the stillbirth or loss of baby afterwards. It's like the worst pain on the planet when you have wanted a baby and made this baby had the baby die. It's extremely painful. So yeah, there are some good options for for people that lose their babies. And uh, there's ways to make peace with it. There's ways that you can prepare for for yourself if you want to get pregnant again. Uh, There's good psychotherapy and there's trauma therapy. So yes. That's a, that's a difficult difficult territory. Uh, I'm wondering, where is this uh, work taking you at the moment? What are you excited about um, looking into studying, practice, practicing, foreseeing for yourself in the, in the near or even far future? Well, I'm, I have a training. I train practitioners now, and it combines the baby's experience with somatic trauma resolution and midwifery. So that is what excites me because I feel like I can create practitioners that can support uh, pregnant people and their partners um, heading toward birth and then catch them afterwards. These are the things that my midwife partner and I found. So that, that, that excites me. That, And I'd like to scale up. Like I said, one of a person in every hospital that has babies, if they can have this awareness, if if they can work to prevent trauma, if they can work to catch the family after so that sensitive caregiving happens right away. You don't have to wait until you're you know horribly suffering. Um, just right away have somebody recognize and know how to skillfully be with that family so that's that's what i'm working on and uh and and actually training more baby body workers people that understand babies uh, and can really help babies in their bodies uh, feed better rest sleep and connect and bond with their parents sounds like an incredibly uh important and valuable line of work Kate I love the idea of baby body workers that just feels so um 
rather optimistic in the most original sense. Um, we usually like to ask our guests at this point um, if there's any stones unturned for them professionally, if there's any intentions or goals in their career in the coming years? Or I mean, I have my own intentions here on planet Earth. So one of the things we work with, of course, we always want to ask people their intention, you know, and they come here to planet Earth. Well, did you, did you feel like you wanted to come here? Did you want a human life? And of course, my answer is yes. I mean, I want a human life. Well, what, what is your purpose on planet Earth? I mean, I, I have a serious life. I, I take care of families every day. And I've lived quite seriously for a lot of my life. But would it surprise you to know my pur purpose on planet Earth is to have fun. I want to have fun. And if it's not fun, I don't want to do it. Now, the serious work I do is fun for me. I love it. I love everything I do. Everything. Love leads me. The love. Love of babies, parents, and healing, and doing this work. I love it. I was smitten from the moment I met it in 1999. Swoon. Uh, but I, I also love to have fun. So what do I want for my career? Well, hmm, what do I want on planet Earth? I want to play. I want to row my boat. I want to play tennis. I want to play volleyball. I want to go for walks in nature with my husband and my dog. Um, I want to love people, family, friends. Uh, and, and enjoy planet Earth, human life, bodies, food, chocolate, yoga, hot baths. I mean, that's kind of what I want for myself, you know, and, uh, and to live old, to be an old, fun, loving practitioner, trainer, family therapist for babies and parents, and just continue to give from the love that I have. I just wanted to mention um, your website, belvedereartscom um, where I believe people can find you if they're looking to take part or participate or learn more about your trainings. I also have ppncenter.com. That's my pre and perinatal center. And you can find my online school where I have a ton of cool stuff if you're interested in this paradigm. Thank you so much, Kate. Um, really heartfelt, informative, um, and fun conversation with you so thank you tremendously yeah it was just fun it's fun to get to know the two of you so thanks thanks for inviting me thank you kate so much thanks for listening to the episode what really supports the podcast is providing a rating and review of the show on your preferred listening platform this helps us get the message out to a wider audience if the topics we discussed today appeal to you do take a moment to subscribe Lastly, we invite you to check out our website, fielddynamicshealing.com, to learn about our training programs, private session work, and to see how we're setting the standard in contemporary energy healing. Many thanks, and see you next time.